We are going to be starting this week, we're actually going to start a new series this week. Uh, if you were with us last week or the last few weeks, we finished a series on the church. And now this week we're actually going to go back to the, to the Old Testament. And not only the Old Testament, we're going to do Minor Prophet. We're going to work through the next five or six weeks the book of Habakkuk. Yeah, Habakkuk. <laughs> you heard me right. Yes, we're going to the Old Testament. We're doing Minor Prophet. Three chapters way back in the Old Testament. If you're unsure where that is, that's okay. If you go, if you find Matthew, the start of the New Testament, and you go back five books, there's Habakkuk. And uh, actually, I say I say it Habakkuk. You could say it Habakkuk. You could say it really however you want because we don't know how to say it, to be honest. And anybody who says they do, they don't really know because it's a dead language, so we're not really sure. But I'm going to say Habakkuk just because that's the way I've always heard it. But um, you may think, why are we going back to a prophet that wrote 2,600 years ago in a time very different from ours? A book that you've probably not heard a lot on before. But the reason we're going to do it, I don't know how many of you watch the news or read the newspaper or read your, I read it online, but you read what's going on in the world. And if you look around at our world right now, it's pretty crazy what's, what's happening. Even if you just go back the last six months, you look at, our world economy, or you look at revolts in different countries around the world, or you look at uh, what happened in Japan with the tsunami and all the things that came after that, there's a lot of crazy things happening right now. And it's, it's, we're at a time where very volatile just in the world, and not only in the world, but in our own country. You know, Economically right now, we're not in the greatest position even in our own country. And as I thought about that and looked at that, we're, I think, I can't even remember exactly what I titled it, but we're talking about, uh, this series is really going to be, when we look at Habakkuk, faith in hard times. Having faith when, when it doesn't seem like everything's quite going together. And uh, as, we, as we think about that, and we think about Habakkuk and what he's writing to, and then we look at our world today, I think you're going to see a lot of parallels. What Habakkuk was writing to 2,600 years ago wasn't all that different than what we see in our world today. The world Habakkuk was writing to was, was a mess. And the world powers and the things that were happening and things that were going on, Habakkuk is writing, if, if you know your Old Testament at all, you know um, way back Solomon, right? Solomon becomes the king and that is Israel's main time. They're, that's their shining moment. They are over everything. They are the nation. And what happens is, I always teach this and, and forgive the kind of, cheesy little way I do it, but the three W's of Solomon, there was, there was wisdom and wealth and women. W, right? The three W's of Solomon. And uh, what happened was Solomon was the wisest man that was so great, and then uh, over time, things he, he conquered lots and lots of stuff and more and more wealth and more and more wealth, but as he conquered, he kept taking wives from all the different countries, and he ended up with over a thousand wives, and their religion started to seep in. And what happened is Solomon's sons went all over the place and the kingdom was split. And if you know Old Testament down through the ages, what happened is the kingdom splits. And a couple hundred years after Solomon, the Assyrians come in and wipe out half of Israel, more than half. Ten tribes are gone. And then all that's left is little Judah, two tribes. And that's who Habakkuk is writing to. And surrounded around him are the Assyrians on one side and the Babylonians or, or what he calls the Chaldeans, which are the same thing. And then Egypt and all these world powers with all these different religions and all these things surrounding the time of Habakkuk. And then he looks at his own people and his own people have fallen into idolatry. 
and it's a mess. And what we see in Habakkuk is Habakkuk crying out to God of what is going on in this world. I hear that prayer quite often even in this very church about what's going on in our world today. It's very applicable to what's happening today, what Habakkuk is asking of God and the conversation that takes place with where we are. So today we're going to look at, what we're going to look at is the first chapter of Habakkuk. We're going to actually read uh, the 17 verses of the first chapter and the first verse of chapter 2. And what we see is this first interaction between Habakkuk the prophet and God and his answer and then Habakkuk's response. So let's read that and then we'll step into it and kind of work our way through this. But Habakkuk, starting in verse 1, says, The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear, or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous So justice goes forth perverted. And the Lord answers, look among the nations and see wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings, not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence and their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff and at rulers they laugh and they laugh at every fortress. For they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose might is their God. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up? the man more righteous than he. You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with a net. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them, he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying this net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what you will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Let's pray and then we're going to work through that that chapter together. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, your prophet Habakkuk. We thank you for... Uh, recording your your interaction with him for us. We pray that we would humbly come to your word this morning and let us speak to us. Pray that your Holy Spirit would empower this time, that we'd clearly see what you would have for us. 
that you would convict us where we need convicting and that you would encourage us where we need encouraging. And uh, We thank you for your word. We thank you for the way it can teach and that it can uh, show us. And I pray that you would do that through your word this morning. We thank you for all you've done for us and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at Habakkuk. And as I read that, you may have thought, all right, this is, this is a real up sermon here. Um, and in a lot of ways, I'll be honest with you and, and stick with me, because as we work through this, some of this isn't the easiest, easiest thing to hear in the world as we work through it. But I think you'll see when we get to the end that for, for good reason we're doing this. And uh, as we look at this in, in Habakkuk, there's really two cycles. Habakkuk questions, God answers. Habakkuk questions again, God answers. So there's two cycles of the back and forth, and then there's a prayer in the third chapter. And today we're really looking at the first one and a half cycles, because we're seeing Habakkuk, and then God's answer, and then Habakkuk again. And that's where we're going to end today. And uh, so we're going to see that one and a half cycles that we're going through. And we're going to ask three questions, or really four things, but three questions as we go through it. But what is Habakkuk's complaint? How does God answer? And what is Habakkuk's reaction to God's answer? And then the last thing we're going to look at this morning is what do we learn from this? What do we take away from this interaction? So as we begin this morning, I want us to think about what is the complaint? What is he saying in verses 2 through 4? And really what he's saying is, what in the world is going on, God? He says, I look around at all this stuff and he says in uh, verse 2, I see violence. And then in verse 3, I see iniquity. And then in the end of verse 3, destruction and violence and contention and strife and the law is paralyzed and justice does not go forth. And that's what Habakkuk sees. That's his complaint. He looks around and goes, what in the world? Where are you? Where are you, God? Look at what's happening. Won't you please do something? And as I mentioned a little bit of Habakkuk's situation, that here he is in the middle of these, these evil nations surrounding them, bearing down on this tiny little nation of what's left of God's people. But he's, he's talking about, Habakkuk's addressing what's going on around him, but he's even addressing what's happening internally in his own nation, right there in Judah. Because what's happened is they've turned away from God. And they started to follow idols and they started to follow all these things. And he's so heartbroken for what he sees. And what you see is, is, you, is you read through and you study Habakkuk's life and you look at all the Old Testament that goes with this, the background. Habakkuk has it even worse because the reality is right before this time when he's writing, and we're pretty certain when he wrote, but when we think that Habakkuk was writing, right before that was the time of King Josiah. And if you know anything about Josiah, there's this little blip and all these terrible kings where Josiah steps in and he really gets the people back to God's word. And there's a wonderful revival and it happens for a short time. But what happens is great things happen. And they see all these people start to turn back to God and great things and revival are happening. And then all of a sudden Josiah dies. And then his sons take over one after another and they are a mess. And Habakkuk lives right through all of that. So not only is it a mess when Habakkuk's writing and he's saying, God, where are you? He just saw this wonderful, wonderful revival. He saw this time of things getting better. And there's this hope of, oh, it's turning around. And then all of a sudden, boom, it goes right back. So not only is the time bad, but what he had seen going back is, 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 is he had seen some really great things and then it gets really bad again. So you can see why his frustration and why he's saying, God, what's going I thought we were turning the corner. And then we go right back. I hear prayers. Uh, some of you, some, some of you in this church are older than I am. A few of you. But... Uh, <laughs> 
I hear prayers all the time and I hear people talk about the way it used to be and what it was like when I was growing up and how different it is. And in a lot of ways, that's what Habakkuk's looking at. Right? He just saw this revival and these good things and then all of a sudden it turns bad. And, it's, and in a lot of ways, I see there's so many parallels to when we read Habakkuk, even to where we are today as a nation and as a world. That, that, that in, in the many of your lifetimes, you've seen things that you never thought you would see in terms of turning from God and the way we look at our world and the way we look at things. And it's the same thing with Habakkuk. But what I want you to see is he cries out to God. He's asking these questions. And he's frustrated, but look at the way he addresses. Verse 2, he says, O Lord. He comes before him as O Lord. And then his second address, and we'll get to this in a minute, but in verse 12, O Lord, my Holy One. That although Habakkuk is, is desperately asking God, what is going on? What are you doing? I don't see how you're working here. Why do you let this happen? He's doing so in a way of, O Lord, O Lord, my Holy One. He's asking, and what, and what you really get here is not Habakkuk going and complaining to other people and going out and walking around and telling them about how bad things are. You see him on his knees before God, appealing directly to God. What he's doing is he's praying. He's pouring his heart out to God. And that's what we see here, that even though Habakkuk is very strong in his language and he's very bold and he's very frustrated, he's still doing so crying out to God directly in prayer. He's coming before him. And that's what we see. And that's what we see in his complaint. Will you just please stop all this mess? That's essentially what he's saying. And then we look at, and we're going to ask the second question, well, how does God answer? What does God say? Look at verse 5. Look among the nations and see and wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. So God says, oh, wait a second, Habakkuk. I'm still here. And I'm still in control and I'm at work. And he tells him that. He says, I'm doing a work and if I explained it all to you, how it's going to work out, you wouldn't even believe it. You wouldn't be able to fathom what I'm doing here. But then look at verse 6. Well, first you think, well, that's good. All right. We're getting somewhere. That's great. But then read verse 6. Then God says to Habakkuk, for behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. That's, that's the Babylonians, the worst nation in the world. That's absolutely awful. And he says, I'm raising them up. I'm going to let them for a time. That's what he's saying. I'm raising up this bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. And then God gives this this description of this nation. They're dreaded and they're fearsome and they're awful and they do all these things. And he says, I'm going to let them come up and they're going to devour the whole earth. That's God's answer. (laughs) I'm in control and you don't see how. But even right now, I'm in control in a way that may not be what you, what you think. And you read that, and as we're walking through this, you may say, how in the world does that help? <laughs> Why are we looking at this passage? God's saying that you don't see, you won't understand, and it's not quite what you think. And, and, you, and you hear that, and you think, what in the world? How can that help? And I think a lot of times what happens in our lives when bad times hit or when hard times come, whether they're on a global scale or personal scale, a lot of times people will say, nothing, I've heard this a lot, nothing good could come out of this. And we oftentimes, that's, that's our objection. Nothing good could come out of this. No way. And I want you to think about what you're saying when you say that. Because we probably all, if we're honest, have said something similar to that. There's just no way God could use this. And I want you to think about that for just a second because what we're really saying is because I don't see a way that it could ever work out for good, then there can't be a way. 
I want you to think about that for just a second because what we're doing when we do that is we're taking ourselves and we're putting us one step above God. You're saying there's a way and you can work it out. That's what he's telling Habakkuk. I have a way and it's nothing that you would think and it seems completely counterintuitive to everything you think, but I am working here. And oftentimes we make that objection and it's one of the great objections to Christianity. How can a good God allow bad things to happen? And people will say, well, he's either not all-powerful, or he's not all-good. Because if he was both, he would just end all this. And that's kind of the objection that comes oftentimes. And I was thinking about it. Um, C.S. Lewis, if you know C.S. Lewis, he was uh, an atheist for many, many years, and he ended up becoming a believer. And uh, he became a great uh, speaker for the Christian faith, one of the greatest Christian apologists that ever lives. And he tells the story that that was his objection to Christianity for the longest time. How can God be good and allow evil and suffering? And uh, he says it this way. He says, my argument against God was the universe seemed cruel and unjust. But how had I gotten this idea of just and unjust? When I was comparing, what, what was I comparing the universe with when I called it unjust? Of course, I, had, I could have given up my idea of justice by saying it was nothing but a private idea of my own. But if I did that then my argument against God collapsed too. For the argument depended on saying that the world was really unjust, not simply that it did not happen to please my private fancies. Consequently, atheism turns out to be far too simple. What C.S. Lewis is saying, do you hear that there, what he's saying? What he is saying is, if you have a God big enough to shake your fist at and say, what is going on? then you have a God big enough to just maybe he's working in a way that you can't understand. You see that? That if you're really going to be angry, and what C.S. Lewis says, he takes it to the next step because he says if you throw God out to get all together, then you don't have a reason to be angry at injustice anyway because you're saying he doesn't exist. And he, and he so clearly points us to how our own argument against it falls apart that if we have a God that big enough that we can trust that he might have a plan that's beyond our understanding. As I thought about that, I, was, I, I thought about my, my son, Jed. Jed is three. He's about to be four. And he gets up, I, I, although I snuck out today without waking him up, but he almost always gets up the same time I do just because he hears me. And he comes downstairs and he wants me to fix him breakfast. And I say, Jed, what would you like for breakfast? We have this conversation at least like four or five times a week. What would you like for breakfast, Jed? And he says, candy. And I say, Jed, you can't have candy for breakfast. And then he says, ice cream? And I say, you can't have ice cream. And then we go back and forth. And then he says, but I want it. You know, that's his reason. But I want it. And I say, well, you can't have that. And we go back and forth in this little thing. And then I explain to him, you can't eat candy and ice cream all the time. And I tell him, and I use that example not, not to make light of our suffering and our pain. I'm not comparing our suffering to Jed being up sober, upset over getting candy and ice cream. But I say it to, for this way, just as my understanding of what's good for Jed is far greater than his own is, so is God's infinitely more than ours is. So when we say this can't work out for good, there's no way anything good can come out of this. Here you have God in, in verse 5 saying, I am doing a work in your days that you wouldn't believe even if I told you. That his understanding is so far greater than ours. And as I was studying this and thinking about this this week, I've been reading this great book by 
David Martin Lloyd-Jones, if you know who he is. He's, he was a pastor in England, and he preached for 50 years, from the 30s to the, I think he died in 1980. And he's a wonderful, wonderful preacher. But he wrote a book on Habakkuk. And in it, he was talking about how God sometimes uses strange instruments to correct his people. And what he was saying is he uses different things to draw us to him and to root out things that we've put our faith in. And what he says is he goes and he talks about, um, I'm paraphrasing the way he says it, but he says a lot of times we pray with an end in mind. God, I, I need you to do it this way, like this, in this timing. And we have this end in mind. And sometimes what, what uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones says is that sometimes God has a different plan than we do. And even, and this is very hard to say and it's very hard to hear, but even sometimes, as he tells Habakkuk here in verse 6, sometimes God's plan is to take you a deeper step down. It's going to get a little worse before it gets better. Or sometimes it may get way worse before it gets better. And that's what he says to Habakkuk. I'm at a work, I'm doing a work here, and you can't understand why. And not only am I doing a work, I'm going to let the worst nation in the world come and just obliterate you. And I think about that, and and I want you to follow me. I I don't mean this to sound callous, but I want you to think about even in our country. I often hear people say all the time, we need our economy fixed, and we need it fixed right now. God, fix it. Make everything better. And that's not to belittle uh, people who are out of jobs. If you're struggling finding a job, I don't mean it that way at all. But I want you to think about from God's perspective what might be happening Maybe, just maybe, he's going to take us down another step so that he gets our heart. He may take us further down so that he can then get your heart and bring us back to him. His, his ways are not our ways. He may be more concerned about the hearts of the people in our nation than our economic prosperity in the short term. You see that? And that's very hard to say because the reality is we could be in for, even as a nation, another step much further down so that he can be glorified that much more. And that's hard. That's hard to think about. It's hard to really grasp sometimes. But but the reality is what God says to Habakkuk here is I'm in control. And you don't see how and you're frustrated with me, but you have to trust me. I am in control here. I am working in a way that you can't understand. Now, when you hear that, just just from your own perspective, what do you think? Actually, let me take you a step further. Let's say you're praying for America. You're down on your knees saying, God, restore this country. I would love, please restore us. And I'm trying to make a connection to Habakkuk here. And God answers you. And he says, I'm doing a work that you wouldn't believe. And I'm going to take... some fundamentalist terrorists, and I'm going to unite them with North Korea, and they're going to wipe you out. What would your reaction be if that was the answer that came back? I'm working, and I'm working in a way that you can't see, but this is what's going to happen. That's what Habakkuk heard. That's exactly what he got. God, please do something. And he says, I am. I'm going to let the Babylonians, the worst of the worst, come and wipe you out. You see how hard? That's, that's what you get. Then that's what happens. And the reason I say that is to set you up for 12 to 17 because Habakkuk answers back. And that's the third thing we're asking. What's Habakkuk's reaction? 
And what he says in verse 12, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? He asks a rhetorical question. Aren't you eternal? You're the God who has always been. You're eternal. How can this be? And then he goes into verses 13 to 17, much what I think any one of our reactions would be if God said that about us and our country and where we are today. For you are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the more righteous than he? You hear what he's saying? He says, I know Judah and where we are, we're messed up, but we're not as bad as them. How can you do this? How can you work in this way? And Habakkuk asks these very tough questions, and there's very strong language in here. Verse 15, he brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net, and he gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. That is not some analogy. That is very literal. That's how the Babylonians took captives back to their land with them. They put hooks in their mouths and dragged them behind them. That's how awful it was. And that's why Habakkuk is so... How in the world can that be? How can, you, how can you allow this? And he asks this question. You get to the end of the chapter here, the end of 17, and then verse 2, 1. He says, he asks these questions, and he's pouring his heart out to God, and he gets to verse 1. I will take my stand at my watch post, and I will station myself on the tower, and I will look out to see what you will say to me. He says, I don't understand. I don't get it. I don't know how you're moving, but I'm going to wait here. And as I read this this week, I kept reading it over and over, and I thought about Jesus with the disciples when so many turn their back on Christ and they leave. They leave in droves. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, do you want to go away too? And Peter turns to him and he says, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. In a lot of ways, that's what Habakkuk is saying. I don't have anywhere else to go. I don't understand it, and I'm frustrated, and I'm begging you, but I'll be, I'm going to wait here. I'm going to wait for your answer. And that's kind of where we're going to end as far as the passage today. And you may go, thanks a lot. <laughs> we're going to wait. But there's a few things I want us to take away from this, even, even this first chapter. And we're going to come back and we're going to look at what God says to him next week and the next week. And hopefully we're going to grow with Habakkuk as you get the answers from God and the way he says it. But there's a couple of things I want to leave you with today. First, Habakkuk's anger over what's happening in the world and the injustice and the frustration. We should be angry over injustice. We should be angry at people flaunting before a holy God. Just as Habakkuk is angry and frustrated, so we should be over injustice and what's going on in the world. We should be upset, but we need to have that that proper response of Habakkuk's, Oh, Holy One, I'll wait on you. He has a humility of understanding that I don't quite have all this figured out. Even though I'm pretty sure you can't work good from this, but I'm going to wait on you. That we need to come before God with humility that maybe, just maybe, we have a God great enough that he's working in a way that we don't understand. And we need to have that humility as we come before him. That we should have an outrage at injustice. I keep thinking, I go back to over and over, 
you know, there's two parts the way I see this. One, there's a lot of things in the world that are a mess that we as a church can address and can do things about, and we should. And uh, I kept thinking about, uh, my brother has a friend who wrote this song, and it's called, uh, Where Have You Been? And I've listened to this song a bunch, and what he says in the middle of the song is he says, um, they should deliver all my blessings in a brown paper handbag to my porch. He says, you should deliver all my blessings right to me. And then he says, then the chorus is, oh God, where have you been? And I, this guy's a believer. He's a, he is a Christian. And in a lot of ways, the song, though, is very much Habakkuk. It's asking the question, where have you been, God? But and I saw this guy singing this song in a live performance about a year ago. And the way he sang it live is he would say, oh God, where have you been? And then he'd sing it again and he'd say, oh my child, where have you been? And he'd answer it back. And as I think about a lot of the things that we get frustrated about, and rightly so, in my mind, I keep going back to there's 600,000 starving children in Africa right now. And we see it on the news. And I can't help but wonder, oh, God, why is that going on that he's not going? My child, where have you been? My church, where have you been? The reality is, and this is for me as much as anybody, I'm going to leave here today and get in an air-conditioned car and drive to my air-conditioned house and turn on my TV and do all these things of luxury while there's 600,000 people without food. So many things we look at and we're frustrated with comes right back to us. And I mean us as the body of Christ. And that's exactly what we talked about last week. Anyone who is in need is our neighbor. But that only answers part of it. And so I say I think about it two ways. Because there's a lot of things you can say that and you can say that's absolutely true on those things. But then a lot of things like a tsunami that hits Japan. Or uh, my friend whose little girl has cancer. Are those things that you go, God, why like this? Why now? Why this way? And you go, that, that's not, I don't know how it turns back and says it to us. or It's a little different because you think, how is that? But what I kept coming back to as you read this, as you get to uh, verse 5, where, Jesus, for, where God is saying to us, for I am doing a work in your days that you wouldn't believe if I told you. And what he's saying is, you trust me. Do you trust me? I'm working here, and even through these things that you may not understand how, but I am doing things, and I am working here. And I kept coming back to that, and it's, you know, we kind of end here today that Habakkuk's saying, I'll wait. And I feel like, in a lot of ways, if you're going through something really hard and frustrating and, and you're suffering right now, just to say, well, just trust God. That's true. That's absolutely true, but it's kind of, okay. Thanks a lot for that. You know, it's easy to say. But, but there's one last part of this, and I say this every week. When we think about verse 5 and you think about where Habakkuk is in Scripture 2,600 years ago, 600 years before Christ, when God says to him, I'm doing a work that you wouldn't believe if I told you, he couldn't see what we can see. And what we can see is that God doesn't just passively say, sit by and say, trust me. Trust me, it works out. It'll be okay. He doesn't do that. Because we serve a God who left his throne, who came to us, and he took all the injustice and the hatred and the problems, and he took it on himself. And he took it to the cross. 
So we don't serve a far-off God that just says, trust me, it'll be okay. We serve a God that came to us and took it on himself, and he entered our suffering, and he entered so in a way that is so far greater than anything we've ever known. Because what happened on the cross is Christ came and he was separated from the Father and he took the full brunt of his wrath. So we have a God that knows what we're going through. We have a God that that suffers along with us. It's not just far off. Trust me, I'm doing a work that you don't understand. What he was saying is, trust me, I'm doing a work that you don't understand. What you don't understand is I'm going to come and take all the evil and all of it on myself for you. That's why we can trust. That's why it's not just far off God in the clouds who doesn't come to us. We have a God who is here with us that knows exactly what you're going through, no matter what the situation So when he says, trust me, I'm doing a work that you can't believe, you can trust him. Because he really has and he really knows. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you're not far off, that we don't just have some sayings, some neat things to say to one another to try to comfort that we actually have you living inside of us through your spirit because of what you did on the cross, that you came to us, that you loved us enough to enter into this story, to, en- to endure the suffering, to come and be right here with us so that you could present us to the Father. We can never, ever thank you enough. We thank you that you uh, are, are a close God who loves us dearly and has proven it that we can trust in you because of what you have done. We thank you, thank you for all you've done for us. And we pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.